From our headquarters in Oslo, Norway, and on behalf of our host, Robbie Peralta, welcome to the Mnemonic Security Podcast. What if I told you that your phone was selling everything it knew about you to the highest bidder? Or bidders, even. Now, before you freak out and disable Siri, just know that this is not quite the case just yet. But it is very, very likely that your favorite apps are selling the location data they collect about you. And that data is ending up in the hands of organizations that I don't think you'd be so comfortable about sharing your intimate details with. And unless we want to go back to the old school appless Nokia phones, or no phones at all, there is no opting out of this collection. That being said, a war on privacy has recently been declared, powered by journalists and privacy advocates from all over the world. And I'm not sure who deserves the credit for this revolution. Snowden, maybe? But what I do know is that I have a gentleman with me here today that deserves a medal of honor for the work he's done so far, and whose episode here today will mark the beginning of a mini-series about privacy and the ecosystem of espionage, capitalizing on our location data. Martin Gundersen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. I don't tell my boss this, but I'm very envious of your job. You have like the, the coolest job you could possibly have. Tell us a little about what you do. So I work at uh, NRK, the Norwegian Public Broadcaster, and there I focus on uh, topics as uh, IT security, privacy, and social media. And uh, I'm part of a small team where uh, people have different jobs. Some work part-time as journalists and mostly do coding. Others do more uh, strategic insights and trend analysis, Mm. and then maybe write something. And then... I'm the journalist trying to get people to write something and uh, write myself. Awesome. Awesome. So you have like a dedicated team to this little uh, cyber world then, I guess. Yeah, we're a small team. I think we're the seven people doing uh, different things related to uh, digitalization. Cool. How long have you been a journalist for? Uh, three and a half years at NRK, and I was actually supposed to be a mechanical engineer, uh, but uh, uh, in the end, when I was writing my thesis, I, I figured out uh, that was I was not super uh, motivated to uh, be an engineer, so uh, I felt mm. like journalists fit me perfectly. Hey, well, I'm glad you became, I'm glad you took that choice. We're all glad. I've been looking forward to this um, podcast for a while here now. So, uh, you know, when you're talking with your friends and you say, uh, I don't know, it could be shoes or belt or whatever you say, and it comes up on your Instagram or your Facebook as a recommended ad. Have you experienced that before? The funny thing is that I've always found it super uh, strange that people are creeped out by ads because mm-hmm. I've been so into this ecosystem myself. So I'm like, it's mostly... Uh, kind of bad data that they had tried to package as super personalized ads. So they're like mm-hmm. two competing worlds. Either it's like super creepy or it's like super bad, low quality um, personalization. So I've always like found it interesting that people feel like they're listened to by their phone. It's super creepy how a lot of companies get access to our data and then we, we never know what their names are, what they're actually doing, and their privacy policies are like, we have a lot of different products. Uh, we use your data in a very good manner, but it's super hard for us to explain how it works. And then I'm like, mm. what is actually happening around here? Mm. So that feeds in perfectly to our topic for today. You decided to do something about that. 
Yeah, so two years ago, uh, we started to uh, think about could we access location data? And we found out there's a lot of uh, companies called data brokers that get access to mobile app data. Uh, and then we bought uh, for, um, I think, uh, two or uh, three uh, thousand pounds or dollars uh, location data for, yeah. mm. yes, 30,000 kroners for um, 140,000 Norwegian cell phones in the year 2019. And then we could follow these phones for uh, from a couple of days to uh, over 200 days at the most. And some phones uh, pinged the, maybe uh, once an hour, uh, some once a day. Uh, in some periods, it could be uh, by the minute and many times a minute. And uh, we, we kind of felt like, wow, we stumbled upon this massive uh, data that what they are used for in the end could be a product that is uh, okay, but like the data exists there and there's an enormous privacy risk to the people being tracked. Mm. What, first of all, where, where do you, where do you go to buy that? Like uh, you don't just go on Amazon and say, oh, location data for Norwegians, boom. Uh, actually, we just Google it, uh, location data brokers. Um, <laughs> and then from there we found different websites with different amounts of information. So some data brokers have uh, more information about their products, others have very little. And we kind of used uh, the emails and the forms they have. Uh, most of the companies have quite good sales funnels uh, since they're uh, this is the product they want that's, to sell. That's what they're doing. They're yeah. also, mm. and they're also, uh, you mentioned Amazon. Amazon uh, have sold uh, or have listed location data. Um, this was reported by WISE just recently. Um, and you could also go to uh, sites which um, lists uh, data um, uh, products where location data is one part of it, but there are multiple of these aggregation sites. Wow. So how was that process? Like you just, uh, you, it was it like you just got to choose the data set you wanted and then you imported it? Did they ask you any questions? Was there any sort of like... Uh... I don't know, any sort of safety checks from their side or was it just anybody, I could just go in there and buy data about the same thing you did, basically? Our feeling was that there was not that many safeguards that we were aware of when we contacted mm. different brokers. Um, the the one broker we finally uh, bought access to loca location data from, we didn't talk to them by phone or have a, a more rigorous contact before uh, the sale was uh, went through. Um, so... Uh, we can't say that anybody could buy location data. I don't think if you say that I'm um, uh, an ex-boyfriend that wants to track. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We said mm. we were a data journalists. Uh, we didn't. Okay. Uh, we said we would use the data for city planning, uh, a project, a project about um, how that works here in Norway. Maybe find mm. different patterns. Um, mm. um, uh, we ended up. Uh, working on the privacy issues and not uh, on uh, city planning. Um, mm. But kind of the problem that is highlighted also is that when you sell this data, you don't have control about what it's used for. So um, mm. depending on who you ask, they will say that uh, there are uh, good contracts. The companies uh, do due diligence. They know who they're selling to. And then we kind of hear murmurs uh, from different parties asking, 
is the due diligence good enough in most cases? Could there be shell companies buying this data, selling it to mm. uh, governments? Uh, could it uh, be sold to uh, envious ex-husbands? It's hard knowing, and that's also kind of like the underlying issue with this industry. It's it's hard knowing how it operates and what uh, safeguards there are. Mm -hmm. So yeah, long story short, the conclusion is that if you were able to do that, then so would some foreign intelligence agency or a you know an ex-boyfriend or somebody somebody bad or something they don't want to have that data i guess yeah i was recently published a NATO report that says that uh they believe um location data and other type of commercially provided data to be a weak link in national security because they believe it will be easy to uh track military personnel that we also showed in our reporting but also mm. Uh, that you could uh, use this for uh, purposes if you're you're a state actor. Oh, ah! All right. So that that was the the first uh, project that you did, and then you decided to build on that. Tell us about yeah, so... uh, how many apps do you have on your phone these days? <laughs> <laughs> when I uh, did a count up, I found I had 160 apps on my phone, my regular phone. Most of those don't have that many permissions very regular in that regard most people have around 100 or more apps on their phone mm. and most people are not uh, aware uh, which permissions these apps have and there has been a, a gradual ev evolution here where um, especially iphones has been better at telling you oh this app actually asks for your location and it pings mm. you this often and uh, iphone has been better to say that oh this app actually want to know your contact lists and our phones are kind of like a silo with a lot of interesting data uh, where the uh, phone manufacturers are now clamping down on a lot of the misuse uh, or perceived misuse, but it's kind of like a slow evolution here. And the experiment we did that we um, had an uh, Android phone. I can show you the phone, actually. <laughs> you still have it. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. So this is a Samsung uh, Galaxy phone. It's not the most up-to-date and best phone, but um, we installed a lot of apps on that uh, phone that we thought were linked to the location data industry in some way. So we knew from uh, our first project the names of some apps, uh, mm -hmm. and then we talked to mobile analytics companies uh, that... Uh, knew of some of the apps and knew of the, some of the brokers that could give us uh, a few more uh, app names. Mm. And then we also went to Google and searched for uh, the different names of the location data brokers and used keywords like privacy policy, location data. And from there, we got a, a couple of new apps. And after we installed all these apps, uh, I kind of forgot about this product because it was really time consuming <laughs> and it kind of went in the back end for um, a couple of months. And I had uh, my phone with me um, for the duration of the period. So uh, I could, um, so we know and we knew the the phone was collecting location data, but mm -hmm. we didn't know which apps, uh, which apps were sending data to whom. So uh, in the middle of the summer, I started uh, creating an Excel sheet uh, with the, all the names of the data brokers. And then I started sending what's called subject access request, um, which is something under European privacy law to GDPR, 
you can ask a company, I want to know all the data you have about me. And also, I want to have a copy of all the data you have about me. How many people that are companies did you send that to? Um, my found, I think I've sent to more than 60 companies. Yeah. And was it like, do those companies make that hard to find? Or do they actually have like a GDPR website that it's like, yeah, we hear, we know what you're going to ask for. It's super, it's super complicated sometimes. Some companies have uh, the email of a privacy at company or uh, mm. DPO, which is the privacy officer uh, mm. at the company. And you can send that email and then you kind of know it will uh, be read by somebody with a privacy background. Mm. Mm. But a lot of companies only have info or sales ads or uh, they have contact or hello. Mm. So then uh, I've written, uh, please uh, send this to the privacy team or the engineering team on your company. And then just hope that uh, somebody uh, will kind of understand that this is a subject access request. So I went back after 30 days and checked how they responded and some did and some don't and if they mm. didn't i sent a new mail mm. <laughs> uh, where it was like could you please respond and then somebody uh, sometimes said oh we don't have data on you that's why we didn't respond or mm. it was oh um we need a couple of days we'll figure it out and then mm. they uh, went looking into their archives mm. but that's like uh well, first of all that uh <laughs> that'd be really easy to spend oh we don't have any data about you here you go and then that's it easy way to get off the hook, I guess. But aren't these companies legally required to actually provide you with that within 30 days? Or uh, Yeah, they're like legally required, but uh, what is the penalty for not doing it? They could all, they can always kind of plead ignorance and say that, oh, uh, we did our best. Uh, mm. We have now responded. So it's mm. kind of like the escalation is that I have to file a complaint with the Norwegian Data Protection Authority. Or uh, if they're based in a other European country, say France, I need mm. to file in France. And then mm. uh, they need to handle the complaint. And you can kind of like think the months go by here. Because yeah, right. uh, mm. for each request, if if I had to complain to a data protection authority, it's something I haven't uh, done because uh, uh, I felt it would be too much work. Yeah. Um, uh, mm. So it's kind of like also... Since there's so many companies, uh, it's kind of um, a resource question. Do you want to kind of spend three months getting yeah, a proper yeah, yes or no? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the ones that did respond, did they send you, <laughs> did you get like a delivery guy on the door with a big, huge stack of papers, like boom, or what kind of format was it in? Is it an Excel sheet or? Oh, it's a very different. So some companies have a quite nice pipeline and some don't. So some companies will say, they responded to the email with a, a zipped file, uh, which is password protected. And then maybe I'll get a, a password on signal or I will get it in another mail. Mm. Or they have a, a kind of a self-serve platform where I'm asked to log in. And wow. um, depending on the system, um, usually the data is provided in Excel or a raw CSV file. Um, mm. So uh, if we're going to talk about Ventel, which is kind of the most interesting company that had my data, they had data for, they have 75,000 rows of location data on me. So from the 15th of February, um, 
last year i could follow my movements uh, until the day they kind of said this is the the final date in the data set we have on you when they sent me the data and uh, i could follow myself uh, going on trips i could see myself visiting my grandmother i could see myself going home to stavanger where i grew up mm-hmm. and i could follow myself around when i went to work uh, while i were at home uh, i found myself uh, going out drinking with friends mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the data is quite interesting because it's so precise and it's uh, multiple parts but it's uh, a lat- latitude and a longitude and that mm. says uh, here in the world uh, just like this precise point mm. you're our hair and then they also include an accuracy measurement uh, which the phone uh, uh, provides and it's usually from 4 to 20 meters or if you're inside or if uh, there's bad reception, it could be uh, more. So it could be 200 meters or 1,000 meters. But usually, like in most cases, it's 4 meters to 20 meters. Wow. That's why you as journalists leave your phone at home when you're going to go meet confidential sources then, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah. And that's like, it's super creepy how much our phone uh, gives up on information. So we yeah. have Bluetooth devices. Uh, we have... Uh, IP addresses are shared mm. widely and you never kind of know which information piece could be problematic. And it uh, really depends on the threat actor you have or and how mm. worried you should be. But it's, uh, I think we're getting to a point where uh, we haven't seen a journalist blowing their sources because of metadata based on location that we know of, mm. but it could happen um right around the corner and it wouldn't surprise me that um location data or other types of metadata have been used um Mm. where two phones have met uh to to kind of piece together likely who was a source or who had this meeting um Mm. we know that cell phone records and um browsing patterns and uh, when people share uh secret documents uh usually the the printers uh, water stamps the documents but you can't see the water stamp uh and also most printers have um uh, a big uh hard drive saving the documents and timestamps so it's kind of quite easy to figure out where information goes um mm. and i think like kind of like the um, uh, as marketers, it's not usually the personalization is perfect, but in most cases, it's better than nothing. And I mm. think this kind of, it could help um, um, if you're doing a leak investigation or uh, other mm. ways, uh, having this kind of like small pieces pointing in a specific direction. Yeah. So the point is you can do a lot with that data, <laughs> just location yeah. data alone. Yeah. And I think we kind of see that already. There's been uh, quite a lot of criminal cases where um, both in the US and Norway and Europe, people are being surprised by how much information you can get when the police ask uh, to get your phone. Mm. Um, And say uh, Apple devices with health uh, apps installed share a lot about heart rates and that could yeah. with the right tight stamp could say if you were uh, in a collision or if you were in mm. a heightened mood and I feel like this these like small tidbits of information that in themselves don't look interesting in the moment 
could be a deciding factor in a, a criminal case. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, why, why, why was your heart rate so quick when you were uh, sleeping, you say? Uh, <laughs> oof. So uh, back, back to the, uh, what was it Ventel you said? Um, how, what, how'd that end? Or did it end? So it, it kind of like, it started a puzzle because Ventel is a US uh, location uh, data company uh, working with uh, clients such as uh, ICE, uh, which is the border enforcement agency in the US, and they have had other clients, uh, FBI have been mentioned, and also mm. IRS. Mm. And uh, we didn't know what they had, why they had my data and what they wanted to use it for. And we kind of tried to ask them follow-up questions about like, uh, which, what partners did you share this information? And they say, we shared your information with commercial partners of us uh, for purposes such as, and then a long list of purposes. And when we asked follow-up questions uh, as part of the subject access requests, uh, they didn't want to specify uh, closer. And mm. uh, so it was kind of like a big question, where does this data finally go? So from there, we kind of knew that uh, this data ends up at a company that does nothing close to marketing or uh, what you would kind of like think about when you think about like mobile apps. And then we uh, asked, where did you get that data from? And they said, oh, we got that from our um, mother company, Gravy Analytics. And the Gravy Analytics, we sent a new response to them. Uh, a new request and their response was uh, we got this data from uh, two companies uh, one is a french company called predicio and another is a us uh, and english-based company called complementix and then we sent new requests to those companies and from there we pieced through that there was two apps uh, one from sigic um, uh, a navigation app and then uh, uh, a sarcastic weather app um, <laughs> called Funny Weather that was kind of like the two apps we had installed that had shared this data. Mm. And we could kind of see that the data then ended up at Ventel. And then we asked a lot of questions about like, but how did it actually get there? And there are a lot of questions we still haven't answered, but uh, we kind of uh, have uh, some answers to that. Mm. So what you're saying kind of reminds me of like, um, you know how we always say like, yeah, well, the NSA is watching you anyway, right? So the, the big brother's watching you. Somebody's watching you. Uh, I did never really, you just taught me right now that it's actually coming through like normal apps on my phone. Like uh, the, it's just, they're just selling my data and that gets sold to government, to non-government. Uh, that, that's literally how it works. So they are, you know, so you're not an American citizen, by the way, are you? The American no, not American should, citizen. Shouldn't have like a uh, an interest in tracking you for any reason, but the, and they probably don't. But they have the ability to very easily, I guess. Yes, yeah, so, like the big problem with this, uh, uh, and there are multiple uh, news outlets in the world that are trying to like figure out like what is uh, allowed and what is not allowed. Uh, there are um, uh, the state in the U.S. is now using the legal theory that this data is not. Um, in breach of the Fourth Amendment, so you can use this data uh, against Americans. Uh, this is in dispute, and there are multiple senators mm -hmm. asking questions about uh, the legal interpretation. But it's an open question for like how broad is the use? Uh, what are 
actually um the the legal limits uh we mm. asked um uh the us uh, ice uh, we asked ice and the border protection agency um if they could use this data in europe and against europeans um i don't think we got a, a proper response that actually kind of informed us about the nuances of the limits uh mm. And uh, here in Europe, we we have more um, rigorous privacy frameworks, but at the same time, um, when state uses data, and usually it's for intelligence or for uh, defense purposes, it's hard to actually know what is the answers and the, the legal system is uh, giving them a lot of leeways um, and they mm. want to protect their source and methods. So I think the, the broad... Uh, responses that we have um, confirmation uh, that U.S. agencies uh, have used location data and they've used it abroad, and uh, the U.S. military have both location data and used it abroad, but we we don't know mm. in which specific cases how broad um, uh, and how much of that have been against European citizens. Mm. So I guess my conclusion from this is is uh, there, there's a lot of different entities that can easily figure out where you are or where, where you've been if they really want to, I guess. I, I think it's hard knowing because uh, just our apps is one of multiple ways we can be tracked. Um, mm. uh, so we have a computer and a phone, which both uh, shares a lot of data without uh, actually um, just by being reused. And... Uh, mm it's it's hard knowing what what data is relevant for which purposes yeah so uh i actually have uh i have like a little series going and you're the beginning of it because you have the cool story you actually did like a hardcore story about it but i have another podcast guest coming in afterwards and she's going to talk about um the concept of lawful intercept which is like you know the government's um intercepting your messages and stuff and what you can figure out from me me and you we chatted on signal right and they say that's super secure uh, you know, it's like a lot of people in the security uh, world use it. And I'm wondering like, okay, we say it's secure, but it, can they see that I'm talking to you? Can they see what I'm writing? So I'm going to, I'm going to figure that out for us. And, uh, maybe I'll put you two in contact, but, um, I'll look forward I, to it. I, yeah. I started, I also started thinking about, okay, uh, in that chat with that future podcast guest, I asked her, what, what can I do to, uh, and I, I mentioned you in this uh, podcast and like, what can we do to prevent, you know, things from tracking us? And she's, she, uh, she pointed me to some videos she made. And so now I have, whenever I surf on the internet, I have two browsers. I have one for work, which is like, I only use for work. And that doesn't have, I'm not logged in on Facebook. I'm not logged in on Google. I'm not logged in on anything that's related to me. Right. Uh, and of course I'm using VPN, but then I have another browser that's more, um, more open, right. That I, that I can, you know, uh, that that's my per for my personal use. How plugins have the yeah, normal life. Exa- exa- have a normal life, right? But uh, it's very hard. It's a lot of work to actually like manage that and and uh, apply that to your whole life. Like it's very easy to go from Google to Duck Duck Goose, right? I'm gonna put a bunch of uh, advice from both of us in the in the show notes. But that thing with your phone, like with all these apps, like either <laughs> either you want the apps or you don't, right? And you can't really like you can't turn this off anyway, or can you? And you prevent what happened to you. From happening is that even feasible if you want to live like a normal person i i i think you kind of will meet uh yourself in the door a couple of times where you will have to do paranoid decisions mm-hmm. uh 
where people around you would maybe think you're going too far if you'll be if you're going to be super protective of yourself um and it's it's a, a very wide uh gulf uh, where you can choose different uh, kind of uh, how extreme you want to be and um i think like some of the simplest things you can do is uh don't use chrome uh, as mm-hmm. the uh, base uh, uh engine and don't log into facebook um mm. on your primary or work browser mm. and then uh on your phone you can turn off add id uh you can both both do that on android and ios mm. and then you can go into if you have a newer android operating system or if you have um ios you can uh, see which permissions your apps get and from there you should kind of ask yourself uh how well do I know this app publisher? Uh, mm-hmm. Is this, uh, say, a European company that would most likely make it more privacy safe because mm-hmm. they've been more, uh, they should be more worried about mm-hmm. privacy laws? Is it uh, a publisher which is a name brand? If it's a name brand, there's more, uh, um, uh, there's a, a, a bigger brand issue of breaching privacy, mm. which kind of should help you in, in some ways. Mm. Um, and when you go down, you can kind of uh, say that some apps and some uh, uh, services uh, is not something you should have, should have because your threat model is uh, uh, either uh, that you, you're worried at some point you have shared too much data or you have uh, a work where um, there's some parts you want to guide, uh, protect more, or if you're mm. in your private life, you kind of feel unsure how much you want to share. Mm. And um, I think it's a good way of thinking is that on a, a personal level, most days we won't do anything that is so um, important to guard that we, we mm. need to do these measures. But there will be days in your life where uh, either you're following a friend to a rehab clinic or yourself uh, in seeking uh, help or you kind of have an uh, work-related um, mm. uh, situations which needs to be handled more delicately where if you haven't these routines already, it's too late doing it when uh, you need it. Mm. Mm. I'm not going to lie. I read your article and you had all their tips in there, right? And I went... I went, I'm a paranoid security guy. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to check these things. I thought, I thought I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty secure. Right. But, uh, I subsequently went through and I d- denied permissions to everything, uh, like in my phone, like permissions for things, uh, for example, like, uh, Facebook having access to my pictures. I just took it all away. But then you quickly realize like, it's really nice to have an integration. Like you really do want to send a picture to your friend every once in a while. Like you need that. Uh, so that paranoia, there's a very, um, they've been really good at, uh, yeah, they make it hard. Do you want to? Do you want li- to enjoy all these benefits, or do you want to be, you know, uh, secure? Even though I-, I don't even think it's possible anymore to be totally private. Yeah, you'll have a social cost being very yes. private, mm. and it kind of <laughs> it's. Uh, I think it's hard uh, to kind of um, be an outlier in uh, in the privacy field. If you, if you want to be very protective, it will have kind of social or um costs or it will make you kind of slower in your everyday life and in your work day because uh you would sometimes say i can't talk to you on this uh Mm. platform or 
we need to uh, do this because no, no, no. and then it could be uh, take uh, half an hour or more to actually do a, a simple task. Mm, right. Yeah, one of your tips actually was to uh, uh, not use Chrome. So I uh, uninstalled Chrome, but then I had to reinstall it because this program we're using right now has to go on Chrome. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But hey, uh, Grinder. Um, I'm not gonna pick on Grinder, but they uh, they just got a hundred million kroner fine uh, from some. I'm not sure if it was because of the work that Fodbrikirolda um, or uh, the that is for. Council. I can yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Yes, so the Consumer Council have a report uh, that went out last year. Uh, now, the Norwegian Data Protection Authority issued uh, a preliminary uh, fine. Uh, so Grindr will have uh, opportunity to kind of say, we, we don't agree with the fine. Um, sure. But uh, the basic issue here is that Grindr shared location data and the cell phone's unique um, ad ID uh, as well as the app name, so Grinder, and then they also have uh, Gay and Buy uh, and other um, kind of uh, words imp- implicitly saying that you're part of a sexual minority. And mm. these things combined made uh, the fine to be uh, uh, the proposed fine to be, I think, uh, ten million uh, euros or close to nine, I think. Which, mm. uh, which is very high to be in Norway. And I mm. think it will be uh, top 10, 20 uh, if, if it gets finalized in the end. Uh, I think the highest fine up to date now is uh, 50 million euros in the, in the European uh, zone mm. after GDPR. So it's, it's a quite big fine, especially mm. since Grindr is a quite small player in the the app ecosystem compared to say Facebook or Google. Yeah. I mean, Grindr at least that's a very, that could be very, uh, as you can imagine, very, very sensitive. Uh, a lot of people out there that don't want their parents, for example, knowing that they have Grindr, I, I would assume. Um, so that, yeah. yeah. And uh, there is a part of the community that uses Grindr that is openly gay uh, mm-hmm. and op- open about them meeting men uh, or mm-hmm. they're open about being bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but there's also quite a big community, as I understand it now, to be be called discreet that don't openly mm. advertise uh, that they use the app. So mm. they will uh, not show their face. Uh, they will not uh, usually have told family or uh, friends that they're gay. Mm. Uh, some have told uh, some friends. And uh, for these people having this data out there, um, stored for a couple of years and there could be a data leak or it could be sold to a company um, that has really bad privacy um, um, safeguards. Uh, It's kind of like a long tail issue where Mm. they don't know if that this could have a consequence for them. And the, the central claim for the Norwegian Data Protection Authority is that people were not aware of what they'd say yes to when they accepted um, to use Grinder and mm. the sharing of location data with uh, these uh, extra IDs. Mm. So just in conclusion, where what are you where are you on this now? Like what um, I know that you met a lot of cool uh, people along this journey of yours now, and you you worked you know you said you've worked with a lot of your colleagues and um, what, what, do you have any like cool stories to share about the work that's being done on their side or what you're what you're working with these days? I can go into ongoing reporting, uh, porting, but I can say that uh, 
my reporting on the location data industry is kind of a part of a bigger, uh, richer history about privacy mm. in Europe and in the world mm. where the GDPR came in 2018 and it kind of helped a lot about raising awareness and then raising the cost for not doing privacy friendly things. But mm. kind of like the, the fight about how privacy in the end will be uh, for uh, us in our everyday lives and how companies uh, work with privacy and how much surveillance in general there is in our society. Those are not questions that are uh, finished. Uh, those are questions that kind of will continue for a long time. And uh, I think maybe our reporting was kind of a small part of saying that it's really hard for uh, data protection authorities in Europe going after American companies. Mm. And it's really hard for our, the data protection authorities to find uh, apps that co uh, collaborate with uh, these companies because uh, we found that an app shared data with one company doing mostly marketing, which could be fine, which uh, is uh, something I knew when I consented in mm. this, these apps. But then it's shared with a new company and then it's shared with a new company. And I think kind of this complex uh, and hard to see ecosystem is uh, mm. uh, something we see in a lot of this data industry where it's really hard getting into the core of the problems because it's so hard to understand where the data flows and who it's shared with. Mm. Right. So uh, it's not over, in other words. <laughs> yeah, I think we're just on the beginning to map a lot of these data broker uh, industries. Mm. Well, Mr. Gunderson, uh, thank you so much for uh, all the fantastic work you've done on behalf of uh, the privacy world. We appreciate it. And uh, we're rooting you on. I, I, I shouldn't have maybe, I shouldn't be happy when a company gets a hundred million kroner fine, but I, I was pretty happy. I was like, uh, I sent a lot of screenshots and text messages, people saying congratulations and good work. So I'm uh, looking forward to sending you uh, one of those text messages here pretty soon. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Have a good one. We'll talk soon. You too. Well, that's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Mnemonic Security Podcast. If you have any concepts or ideas that you'd like us to discuss on future episodes, please feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn or to send us a mail to podcast at mnemonic.no. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.